He's Jimmer. He's Christian. Welcome back to Two PTs and a Bag of Chips. There's us. Today we're going to be covering hip labrum pain, hip labrum tears, hip labrum reconstruction, femoral acetabular impingement, which all falls under the same heading. And then we're going to be covering the kettle queso flavored chip compliments Welcome of Judy. GBK. Thank you, Ms. K. Mrs. K. So we're going to start with labrum tears kind of on this topic. So the labrum sits around the outside of your hip joint. It helps to deepen the joint. It helps improve stability around there. It is also chock full of pain fibers. It's kind of like a gasket. Yes. I like that. I learned that from Dr. Parker. You learned gaskets from Dr. Parker? Gasket. It's kind of like a gasket. When you have irritation to that, you will feel pinching. You will feel pain. Most of the time you'll have pain in either the front of your hip or down kind of into the groin. Yes. Very, very common in people who are either super flexible or people who are uh, single leg athletes, as we call them. So if you do a lot of jumping, pushing off and landing on one leg, this is, this is a pretty common injury. Although I, I think it's oftenly, and this is just purely speculation on my part, I think it's often misdiagnosed. It's, been, it's become one of those fad diagnoses. So everybody with anterior hip pain now all of a sudden has FAI. A lot of that has to do with the fact that <clears throat> now there's a surgery for it, and the surgery, similar to, to kind of ACL injury surgery, is relatively routine, becoming routine. Yeah, and, and that's only been in the last 10 years. Um, I remember treating a young lady about 20 years ago for hip impingement, and there really wasn't anything at that point in time that we could do for it other than looking at a very complicated open procedure versus potential joint replacement. And neither one of those were valiant options at the time. Um, so we treated it conservatively, and lo and behold, it got better. But we now that we have... I mean, we definitely see that a fair amount, like you said. You can, you can have a small tear, just like you can have a small tear in your shoulder labrum, and not require surgery. And so even if you get diagnosed with a labrum tear, you see it on x-ray. If it's small enough and we can stabilize the joint through kind of muscle work and muscle activity and increasing kind of range of motion and flexibility, it's not that big a deal. Right. It's almost like the lower back, right? If we do a, an MRI off the lower back and we find a herniated disc, does that mean you need surgery in your back? Not really, because we don't know how long that herniation has been there. Same situation with the labrum. When we do an MRI and we find a tear in the labrum and there's hip pain, you know, is that comparing apples and oranges? Are those two things 100% um, related? They may not be. It may be just evidence of a biomechanical problem where we need to look at improving the mobility of that hip, improving the mechanics of that hip, let that hip glide and slide better so it doesn't constantly sit anterior. And I think in the, in, in the past we've been a lot more successful in doing that with the shoulder just because of the way that the shoulder functions. So we, we, we see shoulder impingement syndrome all the time that doesn't necessarily require surgery and with some postural changes, we can improve that. Yeah, and you may go in and do something like a cortisone injection or, or do some oral medications for a little while to calm the inflammation down. And once the inflammation goes away, you know, your symptoms are intermittent or gone completely. Yeah, and the other thing that that allows us to do is be a little bit more aggressive with exercises and mobilization. So if you are constantly in pain because of the inflammation, PT is not as successful as if you have a span of say two, three months following an injection where you have less pain and we can, we can get more done that way. 
you know, if it's a true kind of FAI, you'll see bony changes. And so bony changes will show up on an x-ray. You're not going to need an MRI to, to kind of prove that. There's two types. There's a cam type, which affects the, the femoral neck. So there's an additional chunk of bone basically hanging out there. Or you have what's called a pincer type. That hangs off of the acetabulum, so off the pelvis side. Uh, you, the most common one we'll see is a combination of those two. So you have a cam and a pincer. And basically what that means is now there's, there's a lot less room in there for that soft tissue labrum and it gets pinched. And it gets pinched and it gets pinched and it gets pinched and eventually it tears and eventually it kind of frays. And because there's so many pain fibers, it, it doesn't feel particularly good. It's kind of like the shoulder again. <clears throat> if you have a, a bone spur in the shoulder, if you have a type, uh, type of chromium where you have the, um, the downward angle that, that kind of increases the impingement syndrome in the shoulder, that creates chronic inflammation. Though, on a side note, there was just a, an interesting study release that, that Christian pointed out on Instagram. And you really should check that out if you don't follow him on Instagram. He's got some fascinating stuff on there. But there was a study done that the bone spur in the shoulder doesn't necessarily create the tear in the rotator cuff. There might be other issues that relate to that. But so bony changes and impingement go together both in the shoulder and the hip. So if there is no evidence of bony changes on the x-ray and you still have a hip impingement, that might be a reason to be a little bit more aggressive with PT, with rehab, Absolutely. and see if we can improve the mechanics and avoid the growth of that bone spur. There's a, there's a ton that we can do physical therapy-wise, even for someone who has a tear in terms of just stabilizing, strengthening, and, and those kind of things. It's going to be, again, a little bit dependent person to person. We tend to see these a little bit more often kind of in high school athletes now because they ramp up the sport participation. They play one sport a lot more often. And so, like Jim was mentioning, kind of single-limb athletes, we see it a lot in dancers. We see it a lot in soccer players. We see it a lot in basketball and volleyball and those kind of things. And so... If we can get you in and we can start kind of working on it fairly early and it doesn't get too carried away, we can usually finish up a season. Yeah. Surgery-wise, if you have a labrum tear and they fix it, they fail really often just by themselves. Especially if the <laughs> mechanics don't change, right? Yeah. So, so if you don't improve the mechanics, the, the ultimate cause of the tear fixing the tissue is not necessarily going to prevent that from happening again. So other things need to happen. So you almost always have a femoral osteotomy. This is kind of where they remove the, the cam um, impingement. They remove the, the pincer impingement and they clean up the, the bone so that you're no longer compressing that soft tissue as much as possible. Beyond that, they will do something called a GANS procedure, which is basically where they separate the acetabulum from the pelvis and reposition it to to increase the depth of the socket. Uh, that's a pretty aggressive surgery, but the healing time from that is actually less than from the labrum pair or labrum reconstruction. Labrum reconstruction is basically where they take a tissue, either your own or from a cadaver, and they roll it up and kind of remake your labrum after it's been torn. Uh, these do incredibly well. Recovery time is about 12 months though. So it's a, it's a long recovery. You're definitely going to miss a season of sport kind of if that is the route you go. Yes. And recovery in, in includes a lot of patience, which is usually the hardest part, just like with ACLs. Return to sport is the penultimate goal for most athletes. And you're, you're easily looking at nine to 12 months before you're, before you're back participating. Uh, and that's just a matter of 
being patient and doing due diligence. Yep. So with more questions, feel free to ask us. Again, Instagram, Twitter, email, through the website, whatever you want to do. We're going to go to trivia time. Yay, trivia. So last week's trivia, what is the most recent country to change its name? Well, the country of Swaziland changed its name, but what we wanted to know was what did they change it to? That's correct. So at the 50th anniversary of Swaziland, which, by the way, is on the border of South Africa and Mozambique, on the 50th anniversary, the current king of Swaziland decided that that was no longer the appropriate name for the country, so they changed it to Eswatini, which means Swaziland in the Swazi language. Yes. So instead of having the Swazis. Right. Instead of having the English name Swaziland, they changed it to Eswatini. Might be good to know for people who are uh, interested in going to Swaziland. Yeah, that would be good. If you want to buy a ticket, you got to buy a ticket to Eswatini. Not Swaziland. It's not going to show up. I don't know where Swaziland moved to. but That's weird. But so Eswatini, not Rhodesia, which was a very valuable yeah, guess. Questions. We had some answers this yeah, week, which we're pretty yeah. excited about. So that was Ro- good. Rhodesia actually changed its name to uh, Zimbabwe. I said Botswana earlier. That was wrong, too. Oh, it's, my God. It's that's Zim- embarrassing. Zimbabwe now. That is good. Home of the Rhodesian Ridgeback, by the way. Yes. The lion hunting dog. Gorgeous very cool. dogs. Very cool. So this week's question, this is a, a personal favorite of Jimmer's. The Bullfinch Pub in Boston is better known by what name? Yes, that is my personal favorite. Yes. Uh, one, one of my best places to, to... I've never been there. Well, that, that's okay. Okay. You still love it. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes. Chip time. So we've got Kettle Brand Spicy Queso Potato Chips today. I'm a, I'm a big fan of anything coming out of a Kettle Brand bag. You, you've been enjoying the Kettle Brand bag? Yeah, they have the Buffalo Blue Cheese. They have the Honey they Dijon. They, they have... And their flavors are usually good, but their chips are good. They've got solid chips. So this is a 40% chip-to-air ratio. And I think this is why they're good. You see all the wrinkles? It holds more flavor. Definitely hold more flavor. Yep. Very good chip. Nice, solid. I've had this one before. Oh, you've had these before? Mm-hmm. That's good. Yep. It's making my nose drip a little. Uh-oh. Yep. Good spicy queso flavor. Good chip. I like it. No immediate two thumbs up for me. Hit him ditto. All right. I think that's Latin. Two and two. I think in Latin it means two thumbs up as well. Two thumbs up as well. Okay. Oh, look, I have a dark piece. That's my favorite. Ooh. Yeah, get after that one. Mm-mm. Two thumbs up. Very crispy. Like any um, kettle chip brand, they're thick. Yeah. And I, like I said, I think the ridges hold more flavor. They do. They do. They hold a good amount of flavor here. This one would be good with a... Um, with a can of Advent beer. Mm, good to know. Well, thank you for listening today. Next week, we're going to be going going over radicular pain, cervical, lumbar specifically. Uh, we will be reviewing the the Mojo tortilla chip by late July. Sure. That's what we're doing. We will. That sounds fantastic. Uh, anyone looking for information about us, physical therapy general of the show, check out our website, reboundclinic.com. If you like the show, tell a friend. Participate on Instagram, Twitter, Snap face. Give us some answers to that question. And then uh, we'll see you guys next week. Sounds like a plan. He's Jimmer. I'm Christian. Thanks for listening.